Happy Easter and thanks for joining us today at North Coast Church. We're honored you decided to join us on this Easter weekend. We have an amazing message in store for you. To prepare for it, we encourage you, go to our website, northcoastchurch.com, or you can utilize our North Coast Church app. There you can download the message notes, put in your prayer request, or you can give online as well. Now let's join Pastor Chris Brown for today's message. Father, today we want to just thank you for all that you've given us, for all that you provided for us, for this incredible meal that you've set before us. And and if there was ever a time to keep your eyes open during a prayer, it was this one. It was this one. Are you kidding me? What did you pull out of the GI Joe lunchbox? You got a, a couple of sardines and one, two, three, four, five Twinkies? Five Twinkies? And now you're going to thank God for providing for us? If there was ever a prayer in all of human history, come on, North Coast Online, come on, church. You guys know we'll open our eyes every now and then for prayer. And there's nothing wrong with opening eyes when you're praying, when you're driving. I hope you keep your eyes open. But on this one, you had 12 disciples gather around Jesus going, you're giving thanks for this? You just had us sit the crowd down in hundreds and fifties. Just counting the men, we have a hillside of 5,000. And you're thanking God for five Twinkies and a couple sardines that were packed in a kid's G.I. Joe lunchbox. What in the world is he doing? And the events that unfolded that afternoon are going to lead the crowd and the disciples into a whole new understanding of who this Jesus is. And he centers it all on Twinkies. Today's Easter message is brought to you by Twinkies. Twinkies. For 71 verses, we will talk about bread. I don't know if you're ever going to get a clear description of Jesus, a clear understanding of Christianity, and a clear understanding of what we're supposed to be with this Jesus than John chapter 6. We hit the first few miracles last week, Larry did, and then he got into a bunch of verses and said, hey, we're gonna be coming back to them. So we're just gonna cover those first two miracles briefly because they set up Twinkies. They set up what the disciples missed, what you and I may be missing on this Easter today, and they set up what happened out of this little lunchbox. (laughs) It was all that Jesus needed. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. I'm gonna pick mine up with you. We are in John chapter six. For all of you that are watching, all of you that are listening, all of you that are checking in with us, thanks for being church today. Oh, for Joanne from Utah, thank you. Thank you for one of the most encouraging letters notes I've ever received. Love that we are part of you and your journey with you. We are in John chapter six today. Come on, open a Bible, get ready to go, get your outline out. It is one of the most bizarre miracles followed by maybe one of the the most worthless miracles, followed by maybe the worst illustration ever given in a message, Twinkies. Really, Twinkies? You're in Easter, we're going to talk about Twinkies. And then it's followed up by the worst crowd response ever, which kind of puts this all together and maybe the worst Easter message you have ever heard. Maybe. And yet, because it's Jesus's message about himself, Maybe we should dive into the confusion. Look at Twinkies, look at bread, and jump in. Roll up your sleeves. We're going to do a flyby of the first two miracle games. Um, John chapter 6, it just says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed 
to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd followed around him because they saw the signs that he performed by healing the sick. You see, Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with the disciples and the Jewish Passover feast was near because the crowd knows Jesus has been healing people. The crowd knows Jesus has been healing the sick. They're all starting to come around him. Have you ever wondered how do you get 5,000 people out in the open countryside far from food where Jesus has to feed them? Well, that end of verse four tells you it's close to the Passover. You see, every Jewish family in the nation is trying to make their way up to Jerusalem. Every Jewish family wants to celebrate Passover in the city of Jerusalem. So you've got tens of thousands of people on the road. Everyone's making their way up to Jerusalem. Everyone has this Passover, what happened with their people some 1400 years before with Moses and, and Egypt, and there were a bunch of plagues. And the last sign was that they had to kill a, a lamb and put blood over their doorway. And then they all got their families inside the house and they roasted the lamb, they had to eat it, they had to consume it all. And then the last plague of death would pass over their house. And finally, Pharaoh told Moses, get the slaves out of our land and he delivered your people. For 1,400 years, they've been celebrating the time that God saved your people. There was a rescuer. There was a deliverer. Man, patriotism is at a fever pitch at this time. Everyone's thinking about freedom. Everyone's thinking about our problems are supposed to be solved. We're supposed to have a better life. I'm supposed to have a better marriage. I'm supposed to have a better singleness. I'm supposed to have a better family. I'm supposed to have better relationships. I'm supposed to have more fulfillment, more success, more contentment. Have you been there? It's on everyone's mind. Something's missing in life. And this time of year, it all comes to a fever pitch. And this time of year, they've heard about a guy who's doing miracles. So yes, on the way to Jerusalem, there's a huge crowd that follows. And this is where the G.I. Joe lunchbox comes in. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where, circle, highlight, underline, where shall we buy bread, for, buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, circle, highlight, underline. He already had in mind what he was gonna do. So Jesus sees the hungry crowd. Everyone's far from home. And he realizes, man, we should feed these people. I know what I'm going to do, but I want to see if my followers really know who I am. So he asked Philip, where, circle, where are we going to get bread for this? And Philip's response, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one just to have a bite. I'm not talking about filling people, just for someone to have a bite. You know how many Twinkies it would take? 5,000 men. They're probably traveling with the wife. So we got 10,000 now of adults. Each of them have 2.75 kids. So you start doing the math and realize, holy cow, we've got 10, 15, 20,000 people on this journey. And, and Philip flunks the test. Jesus says, where are we gonna get the bread? And Philip goes to, how are we gonna do this? Philip just sees the size of the problem. He doesn't see the Jesus in front of him. Philip should have stopped and said, well, last time we were at a huge event, the wine ran out. You took water and made it into wine. Maybe you can take stones and make it into bread. Congratulations, Philip. You pass the test. Jesus is standing there with his followers. Where are you going to get the answer to your problems? And Philip goes to the size of the problem and doesn't see the size of the Jesus that's with him. This whole story today, people, is going to get you and I to understand there's a huge difference in that knowing that Jesus is with you and knowing the Jesus that is with you. Philip has no doubt Jesus is there. Philip has no clue who the Jesus is that's there. And we have a disciple that gets a C minus on the test. 
You see another disciple, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves, two small fish, but how far will they go? I found a kid with a G.I. Joe lunchbox. He's got five Twinkies and a couple sardines. That's all I can come up with, but it's yours. And Jesus had him sit down people in fifties and hundreds. And then he gave that prayer and he thanked God for providing. And if there was ever a prayer in history, you were like, you're praying for five Twinkies and a couple sardines. Have you counted the people? And as Larry talked to us last week, everyone ate until they were satisfied, not just a bite, but full. And 12 basketfuls of leftovers were picked up. 12 basketfuls were picked up. You realize the impoverished situation of the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. You realize in first century, people usually didn't eat until they were full. Not, not in this part of the world. People ate to survive. A lot of times not knowing where your next meal was coming from. This is the only miracle in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the only miracle that all four of the Jesus books carry. It's almost as if to say God truly cares about feeding people. God truly cares about taking care of the needs of people. Not just a bite, not just a taste, but to be filled, to be fulfilled. And right when we have one of the most amazing miracles of Jesus we have maybe the worst miracle of Jesus. See, look at verse 14. After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountainside by himself. Let me sum this up. The people realize this guy really is a prophet. This guy really can do some damage on the side of good. This guy really can save us. Man, we're going to Jerusalem. We're thinking of Passover. We're thinking about the next savior. We're thinking about God redeeming us. It's at a fever pitch right now. This is the guy that's taken to Jerusalem and let's make him king. And knowing that Jesus wanted, that the crowd wanted Jesus to become an earthly king, Jesus took off and left him. But isn't this what you and I teach? Isn't this what church is about? You gotta make Jesus king in your life. Jesus is king. Make Jesus king of everything in your life. And when the people finally come to a point and say, we're gonna make you king, Jesus goes, I'm getting out of here. And he splits. <laughs> and he splits. I told you, this is gonna be a chapter of some confusion, and that's okay at first. So it's time to pull off maybe the weakest miracle <laughs> in the bag of miracles that Jesus has. See, when evening came, verse 16, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat, set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark. Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Well, that's a heck of a trick, but why? This is, in my opinion, one of the most worthless, no, the most worthless miracle of Jesus. Uh, come on, come on. I know it's Easter. We shouldn't talk about bad miracles, but have you ever prayed for this one? No. Have you ever prayed, God, today I need to walk on? Nope. Have you ever prayed, Jesus, may I just see you walking on? Nope. I tell you what, we prayed for every other miracle he does. 
for God healing, for God taking care of sick, for God taking care of demon possession, for God providing, for God giving uh, fish, for God feeding, for God giving an abundance of fish in the nets, for God taking care of me financially, for God showing me where to, man, we pray for every other miracle Jesus does has a physical need attached to it. Every other miracle Jesus has a physical need attached to it. And, and, and not on this one. In fact, I want you to write this down. Every other miracle meets a physical need. This one's just spiritual. <laughs> What's he doing? He's just flexing. I can walk on water, you can't. And the moment they brought him into the boat, immediately, I don't know what kind of teleportation happened, immediately, they're no longer struggling at the oars, immediately they get to their destination. So he's got a miracle of transportation. Have any of you ever prayed for that? For God just to beam you up somewhere, to put you some. And I look at this miracle and go, why? Why? But watch, I told you, it's all about Twinkies. So when they're on the other shore, this is what happens in verse 22. The next day, the crowd that stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that he had gone away alone. Then some boats came from across the sea, Tiberias, and landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into their boats and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. What's that saying? There's a lot of confusion. Well, we know the disciples left in the boat, but Jesus didn't leave, but Jesus isn't here, and we don't know where they are, and we don't know where he is, and people from the other side came, and they said they're looking for Jesus, so now everyone gets in their boats in the little northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. We're not talking about the Pacific or Atlantic. We're talking about a, a large lake, if you will, that's 13 miles long by about seven miles wide, and they're only doing the northern edge, and they're trying to find out where this Jesus is. Why? Because he fed them, and they want to make him king, but the guy disappeared on him. And this is where it all starts coming into play. You see, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Or how did you arrive? What did you just do? Where did you go? How did you show up here? But Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father was placed, has placed his seal of approval. When the crowd finally catches up to him, Jesus basically asks, why are you seeking me? It's a rhetorical question. Let me tell you why you're seeking me. You're seeking me for what you can get from me. You didn't see signs that pointed to I was God. You didn't see signs that pointed to we found our Lord. You had your bellies filled. You had your sicknesses healed. You're seeking me for what you can get from me. This is the problem with the two miracles. This starts maybe the worst Easter message you've ever heard. You've already written it down that every other miracle meets a physical need. This one is just spiritual because this is why these two are back to back. The disciples and the crowd are caught up in you can meet my needs. Physically, what you can do. Temporarily, you solve my hunger. Now I'll get hungry again tomorrow, but man, you can meet my needs. Jesus walks out on water to show his disciples a much bigger, deeper, spiritual side of their God. 
You're caught up on fish and bread. You have no clue who's standing with you. If you had any clue that Jesus that says, where are we gonna take care of your problems? You would have said, you, you take care of my problems. And you would have sat back and watched. But no, you have a God that says, where are we gonna take care of your problems? And your response is, you don't know how big this problem is. You don't know what's gone on so far. You don't know what we're dealing with. Man, you don't understand. And Jesus goes, you missed me. I need to show you a bigger glimpse of your Jesus. And that night, when they were straining at the oars, once again, humanly coming up empty. Once again, humanly realizing they don't have what it takes. Once again, just like he wanted the disciples to look at the crowd and go, we do not have the food. We do not have enough Twinkies. We do not have enough bread. He goes, that's right. The place that you play in Christianity is not that I'm good enough. It's not that I got my act together. It's not that I've got my behaviors modified. It's not that I'm doing better. The place you play in Christianity is I don't have what it takes. Even, even what I have is just, what I have is ludicrous for what's in front of me. And Jesus goes, yeah. So where are you getting your needs met? You. You. You are the who that meets my needs. I don't know the how, but I know it's you. So he walks out to show his disciples a greater picture spiritually. Do you have any clue the Jesus that's with you? Let me put it this way in your note sheet. If we are coming to Jesus with only our earthly problems, then we are missing Jesus. <laughs> if we are coming to Jesus with only our earthly problems, then we are missing Jesus. In fact, we may not just be missing Jesus. <laughs> he, he may just be running from us. <laughs> you know, Chris, it's Easter. Jesus would never run from us. He did. A crowd that wants to make him king, a crowd that wants to make him king. You can do healings. You can help me physically. You can feed me. You can provide for me. Now we want you to take you to Jerusalem. Why? There's a problem in Jerusalem. What's the problem in Jerusalem? National politics. You need to save our country. You need to be our political hero. You need to kick Roman butt. You need to set up. You're the guy that can take care of all of my earthly problems. And when we come to Jesus and make him king of all, all of our earthly problems. I think we're missing Jesus and he may just be running from us because that's what he did then. And he walks out that night on the lake to show those that really want to follow him. There's a much bigger picture here than the temporary. And that's what this teaching is about to get into. Now, guys, listen, I'm not about to do some sort of drive-by guilting for people that come to Jesus with temporary problems. Our temporary problems are huge. Our temporary problems uh, revolve around relationship, divorce, abuse, molestation, cancer, tumors, bankruptcy, in the midst of job, in the midst of houses being taken away. Our temporary problems are monstrous. It's as if, it's as if I have to feed 20,000 people out of a... G.I. Joe lunchbox. They're huge. And Jesus isn't saying shame on you for wanting to have temporary needs met. Jesus is the one when he taught us how the prayer in the Lord's prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. 
He goes, pray for your provisions to be met. The only miracle in all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is what? Feeding of the 5,000, which shows what? Jesus cares about the needs of people, the most basic needs of feeding people. I'm not going to get down on anyone that's coming to Jesus with temporary problems, or you want temporary things or luxuries. I'm that way too. Someone comes up and says, Chris, we just had a uh, a landfall, we had a, a, a billionaire relative we never even knew existed, and we found out we've inherited a fortune, and we want to we, we we give you $300,000 to pay off your house so you and Amy don't have to worry about a mortgage. Would you pray about receiving that? Of course I'm going to say no. I'm not praying about that. I'm taking it. I go, do you have it in check or cash? I don't need to pray about that. Well, our billionaire was in the drug trafficking. It's drug money. I said, I'm going to put it to good use. Thank you very much. I'm not turning down temporary solutions. I'm not a guy that goes through just going, oh, no, no, we don't want anything to bless our life. But Jesus says, if you're only, if the crowd's seeking me because you think I'm useful, then you don't understand I am worthy. It's a small Jesus that came to be used. It is a great God that says, do you understand I am worthy of your praise? And this is where the problem comes in the first part of the story. It comes with the crowd, and it also comes with those that are closest to him and the disciples. Jesus is saying, you have a much bigger problem than the one that you're praying about. You have a much bigger problem than the one that you're currently working on. And this is where we get into Twinkies. Those are the two miracles that set up this entire teaching So let's look at verse 28. So the crowd asked him, what must we do to do the work that God requires? I know I probably have to do a lot of work to get to where God wants me to be. And he goes, no, no, this. Jesus answered the work of God. It's not your work, by the way. It's the work of God. God's the one that does the work. The work of God is this. You just believe in the one that he has sent. This is what this whole chapter is about. This is what Easter is about. This is what's pulling off the resurrection in the empty tomb. Here's the work that God wants. You know what God wants from your life? You just to believe in the son that he sent. So they asked him, what sign are you gonna give us that we may see it and believe you? What are you gonna do? Well, if you want us to put our trust in you, you gotta pull something off for us. Now get it. This is the crowd the day earlier that was just fed part of the 5,000. That night they lost him, they found him in their back. This is the crowd that said, we are following you because of the signs we've seen. We've seen you heal people. So these people have seen the miracles of Jesus healing. They were there when they saw, my gosh, from something down in front. They might not know how the miracle happened, but he fed all of us his day with leftovers. We had our fill. This is the guy I wanna follow. And now they're saying, prove us, show us a sign. After everything that Jesus has already done, and they're going to give him one. Verse 31, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. I know you fed us one meal, but when our people left Egypt and they were in the wilderness and Moses prayed to God, they woke up every morning and there was bread on the ground. It's called manna. You gave us Twinkies yesterday for dinner. Our people had Twinkies every day of their life for 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness. Can you outdo Moses Can you one-up Moses? And then Jesus has to straighten out the teaching. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses 
who is given the bread from heaven. It is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Moses didn't produce bread. God gave bread. And God now has given you the bread of life. God has now given you the bread of life. And it gives life to the world. You're struggling with God because you're focused on just the temporary. You haven't seen the eternal. You're focused on the temporary, the physical, and you're not understanding the spiritual. And there's something in your life that's bigger than your problems. There's something missing in your life that's bigger than just, I need someone healed, or I need my needs taken care of, or I need this relationship, or I need this relationship taken care of. He goes, look, there's a bigger issue than bread. It's why what some would say maybe is my weakest miracle, maybe it'd been my most profound I didn't heal a temporary need. I spiritually showed them I'm God over creation. I can walk on what I created. Maybe it's not the miracle we pray for, but maybe it's the miracle we need to see. There's a big difference, again, in knowing Jesus is in your boat and knowing the Jesus that's in your boat. A temporary Jesus is a God to be used When we understand who Christ is, he's a God worthy of our worship and our praise. And the people are starting to understand he's he's given them something, offering something beyond here. So sir, they said in verse 34, always give us his bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. He goes, guys, look, I am the bread. I am your life. I am your answer. What are you focusing on? You're focusing on finances. You're focusing on relationship. You're focused on sex or sexuality. You're focusing on provisions. You're focusing on a better house, a better car. What happens in that pursuit? It's gonna leave you bored. It's gonna leave you distressed or it's gonna leave you depressed. It's gonna leave you filled with anxiety. It's gonna leave you chasing. There is not a fulfillment on this world that hits the need you have. I am the guy where you never thirst again and you're never hungry again. I bring to you a relationship, a quality of life that transcends life. You were made for something greater than the world. Otherwise, the world would be able to fill you. The world can't fill you. The world can't satisfy you. That's how you know you were made for this relationship. And Jesus says, I am the relationship that you were built for. Now in verse 37, he says, all those that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. I will lose none of those that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my father's will, what is God's will? That everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and he will raise them up on the last day. Oh, the wording in this, whoever, whoever, everyone who comes, whoever, I will never drive away anyone, I will never lose anyone, and everyone. It's everyone, everyone, whoever, whoever, all. People, this is for you. 
None of you have out-sinned. None of you have out-blasphemed. None of you have out-rejected. None of you have gone too far. None of you have blown it. This isn't about your works. It's what he did. He goes, this is the work of the Father. Your work is that you just get to a place where you come and you believe. You come and you trust. He goes, that's your work. And guess what? That's not a work. It's just to receive. Did God die for everyone? Yes. So everyone gets God? No. He goes, it's whoever, whoever, everyone, everyone, whoever, everyone. But you've got to come and you've got to receive this bread. You daily search for things that fulfill you. Bread, Twinkies, if you will. You daily search for things. And two or three times a day, you daily have to feed yourself. I'm not about to eat one of these. You daily have to make sure that I'm sustained. And he goes, I'm the God that you come to once and for all. And I give you life here and I give you life eternal. This is the confusion and the problem in the chapter. (laughs) At, At this, it says, they began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. And they're like, isn't this Mary and Joseph's son? Didn't this kid play little league with my kid? What do you mean you came down from heaven? What do you mean you're God? And jump to verse 49. Jesus says, your ancestors ate the manna, the bread in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever, there the word is again, eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I am going to give for the life of the world. Guys, here's the problem with you trying to compare me to Moses. Yeah, my father did miracles for your forefathers. They all died. Whatever your prayers are for today is temporary. It's gonna come and go. You are gonna die. There's a much bigger problem in your life than the problems you're focused on in life. Where is your source of life? Where is your joy, your contentment, your fulfillment? Where is your next life? And Jesus says, I stand here today. I've come from heaven. And they're like, you came from heaven? We thought you came from Mary and Joseph. You grew up here and and we thought we thought. And he's like, "Look, look, let me tell you. Look at the crowds that come to me. Look at the belief that people put in me. Look at the response when creation finally meets creator. That's the only sign you need. That's the only proof you need. I'm a working, living God. You've got to come and you've got to believe. Oh, the people then realized what I wrote down. This may be the worst illustration ever. And the Jews began to argue sharply amongst them. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Is this cannibalism? What do you mean we got to eat your flesh? What do you mean you're giving your flesh for the world? Jesus knows he's going to the cross. Jesus knows he's going to pull off Good Friday. Jesus knows today we're going to celebrate Easter. He knows there's going to be an empty tomb. He knows he's given his body. He knows he's spilling his blood. He knows he's going to do the work of sacrifice. He's going to do the work of paying the penalty. He's going to do the work of satisfying God's wrath. So you and I don't do the work. We just come and accept. We just come and accept. That's my only role is to come and accept and to trust. He goes, that's your reply. The work is mine. But because he's using this illustration of bread, about Twinkies, about you eat stuff and it's temporary. I'm giving you something that can last forever. You're going to eat my body. And they're like, is this cannibalism? Come on. And Jesus now double downs on the worst illustration ever. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. 
For my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. I've never caught this chapter before. Until this week doing some reading and studying, I go all the way back to what I already pointed out in the very beginning in verse four, the Jewish Passover feast was near. They're all on their way to Passover. What do they do at Passover? At Passover, every family will take a lamb into the temple. They'll drain its blood. They'll sacrifice it. They'll take it home and finish cooking it. And every family will consume the lamb. What happened when Moses led the people out of Egypt? When the last curse on Egypt, the last plague was death. He goes, here's what you do. You kill a lamb, you apply the blood on the doorway, you put your whole family inside, and then you eat that lamb. See, this is on their minds this time of year. And Jesus says, I am the lamb of God. I am the bread. You consume me. It's Jesus's way of saying, I'm not gonna be a part of your life. I'm gonna give all of me. So get this straight. I'm gonna accept all of you. Not just a part of you. This idea that we accept Jesus into our life and he becomes a part of my life until I die. Jesus goes, I will not be a part of Chris Brown. You're way too small of an entity for God to be a part of. It's Jesus saying, I am about to give my body broken for you and my blood. I want you to consume this the way I'm gonna allow this to consume me. Oh man, all right. Maybe one of the worst illustrations because now the proud's thinking, are we supposed to be cannibals? Are we supposed to eat this guy? I don't understand. And he's about to lose the whole Easter message once again. So we went from what I thought was maybe the worst miracle of just walking on water. What good is that? And then I realized he's trying to take him to a higher, a deeper level of understanding. You're focused on your physical. You don't know that I'm offering you the eternal and the spiritual. Then he turns the corner and he has this whole analogy about him being bread, him being bread, him being bread. They miss it. Now they're thinking about cannibalism and he doubles down on it. I want you to write this down. Just as a body without food is dead, our spirit without Jesus is dead. And this is the point he's driving to conclude the message. People, when I take blood or food, when I take food away from you, you're not gonna make it. (laughs) A body needs food to survive. And he goes, don't you understand I've shown you who I am spiritually, eternally. Your soul, your spirit needs Jesus to survive. It is what we were made for. We were made to inhabit him. The battery, the source of life that I'm supposed to run on is not what I try to find in this world. It is him. I come and believe, I plug into him and he goes, then you have the source of life. I can give you fulfillment. I can give you contentment. I can give you joy. I can take care of problems or I'm gonna walk you through the problems. But either way, you're gonna find that you're not gonna thirst and you're not gonna go hungry. I'm gonna fulfill you. In the same way, a body without food is dead. Our spirit without Jesus is dead. Now, here's the thing about bread. Bread can't just be read about. Bread can't be talked about or thought about. It has to be what? Consumed (laughs) for it to do any good to the body. If, If I'm starving and someone gives me a Twinkie, I'm like, really, a Twinkie when I'm starving? But I can't just think about this Twinkie. 
I can't talk about, you know what, I was starving, but let me tell you what this Twinkie do. I can't get, and I just can't read the ingredients. Let me tell you it's in this Twinkie. Oh man, I don't think I can pronounce half the words that are in this Twinkie, and that's a longer paragraph than what we read. But the Twinkie, the food doesn't sustain you. Bread doesn't sustain you by thinking about it, talking about it, talking to it, or reading about it. Food sustains you when you take it in, when you absorb it. When every, when every pore of my body revolves around it, it then sustains me from the inside out. It then provides for me. It energizes me from the inside out. It's not external. You see, no one can eat bread for you when you're hungry. You can't go, man, I'm starving today. Can some of you eat something for me? I'd feel a lot better. No, that's dumb. We know we have to take it in. And this is Jesus sitting here and going, I've got to be consumed by you. The crowd doesn't get this worst illustration. What do you mean, bread? Are we supposed to eat you? And Jesus goes, you know what? If you want to be silly about it, yes. You have to consume me. You have to take this in. I'm going to be your Lord. I'm going to be your Savior. That's the part of you coming and trusting of what Christ did on the cross. You died for my sins. You took the punishment. You did the work. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. I can't live up to it. It is all you and you alone. I simply come by faith to receive this incredible gift of grace. He goes, it's God's work. It's God's work. Your work, come and believe. Just come and put your trust in. Wow. And they all got Passover on their mind. They're all going to a ceremony where they need to eat and fully consume the lamb. This is the night in the upper room where Jesus is gonna get with his disciples at the next Passover and just say, I'm the lamb of God. I'm what was broken and sacrificed for you. He's gonna take the bread and he's gonna break it. And he's always the bread that was broken for you. It's today what we call communion, where we come and we have the cup and we have the bread. At North Coast, we do it in homes, not in large crowds. We do it in our life groups that we call the church, not in the crowds on the weekend. And we sit and we celebrate communion. What Christ did, all the work to have a relationship with someone like me. Well, on hearing this, Many of his disciples said in verse 60, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is a hard teaching. Who's gonna accept this? And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, aware that Jesus says, well, I think I've taught maybe one of the worst Easter messages ever because I'm about to lose the crowd. They don't understand my illustration. They didn't like my miracle. He says, does this offend you? In verse 62, then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? If, if, if you're offended that I just said, I have to consume your life, your life is consumed by me, if you're offended by that, wait until you see me one day back at the right hand of God. You're, you need to choose, do you want to be offended now by realizing it's not your life, you give it up, give it to him and you get all in return? Or do you want to hold on to your life and then one day, when your heart stops beating, when you take your last breath, to open your eyes and see Christ in heaven and go, oh, man, I probably should have done something. You're gonna be offended. If, if, if you're offended by me telling you I need to be Lord of your life now, wait until you see me as Lord of all. It's a great line. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit. They're full of life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. 
Now get why I said maybe the worst Easter message ever. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That word disciple there, John is using as follower, as the crowds, the masses, not talking about the 12, but those that were following him because they saw his miracles. You can heal people. We were fed by you. They want to make him king. You can be king of all my earthly problems. You can be king of my life. With you as king, you're going to make my life so much better. And Jesus goes, I'm not with you. In fact, I'm ditching that crowd. Isn't that what we're taught in church? Make Jesus king of your life and he makes your life better. And he goes, nope, I'm out of here. I got to show some people a bigger picture of who I am. I'm not a God to be used. I'm a God to be worshiped. I'll walk on creation to show him what I think about creation. Oh, you have needs and he cares about your needs, but he cares about a much bigger problem that you and I have and a much bigger God that he is. And from that time on, many people said we're done and they walked away from him. In verse 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12, now Jesus turns to disciples. Do you guys want to go? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Everything about Easter, our response is summed up right now. Where are we gonna go on earth? Is there anything on earth I desire? Is there anything on earth that can fulfill me? I got nothing to return to once I taste of the Lord. There's no amount of success. There's no amount of sex. There's no amount of relationship. There's no amount of fame. There's nothing that I can return to. You have the words of eternal life. We have come and believed that you're the Holy One. He did the response. Well, what do you have to do? I just come to him. I just plug in that life and I believe and what he's done for me and who he is in me. And I let him do the work. I don't know how he's feeding the crowd. I don't know what he's gonna do out here on the water, but all I know is who he is and I come to him and I believe in who he is. And Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. In parentheses, he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the 12 was later to betray him. Okay, maybe the worst crowd response ever. I put a line through that, maybe. Maybe the worst crowd response ever, because there's no maybe in this. This one is. You see, Jesus' teaching wasn't hard to understand. It was hard to accept. Again, in verse 60, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? It's not hard to understand. It's hard to accept. It's hard to apply. You want me to come and make you everything? You want me to come and accept that you are the son of God? You are the source of life. You are my only hope. You are my eternity and you've done all the work? That's not hard to understand. Oh, but it is hard to accept. It's hard to put in place. You see, everybody wants a savior. I want a financial savior. I want a relationship savior. I want a savior from cancer. I want a savior from disease. I want a savior from paralysis. I want a savior from, I want a savior from. Everyone wants a savior and everyone rushed to make him king of their problems. And Jesus says, I'm getting out of here. That's not what I'm about. Everyone wants a savior. Few people want a Lord. Everyone wants a savior. Few people want surrender. Because surrender means if I give all to you, then it's all about you. I want a God to fix my problems. I don't want a God to surrender to. I want a God to bless my life. I don't want God to change my life. And Jesus goes, well, you got the wrong Jesus. (laughs) You got the wrong Jesus. It's easy to understand. It was hard to accept. 
We got a, a pastor on staff, Connor. Maybe you've seen him because he does a lot of stuff with our Serve Your City and a lot of our missions. He's the pastor over all those departments. And uh, some of you might not know. You see him and he's kind of this wiry guy, cool tattoos. But, but Connor is actually a nationally ranked triathlete. So Connor comes to me and goes, hey, there's a big triathlon coming up in nine months. Chris, I think you can do this one with me. And I'm like, do what with you? Like I'll drive or I'll watch it. And he goes, no, no, compete with me. Do a triathlon? <laughs> I mean, just Connor standing next to me. You can tell who's the triathlete. I can promise you that. He goes, no, we got nine months. I've scheduled out every day over the nine, next nine months. It's gonna be Monday through Saturday. You're gonna have Sundays off, but two hours every morning, here's gonna be your fitness and your exercise routine. Here's what you can and can't eat every day. And for an hour and a half every night, here's your exercise routine. And we can do this for nine months. And I think you'll be in a place where you can do this triathlon with me. And I would look at Connor and go, that's really easy to understand. I ain't accepting it. <laughs> that's easy to understand. I can't accept. You need to, what? No. You know what I'd have to go through the next nine months? And I, didn't, I never said I wanted to run one of these, by the way. Mm, they're even long to watch on television. I admire you for doing it, buddy. It's easy to understand. That's really hard to accept. John chapter six, 71 verses. Jesus says, let me tell you, I care about your needs. I care about your temporary needs. I care about your physical needs. I care about even you just making sure that you're fed each day. I'm a God that cares about you. I taught you how to pray, give us this day our daily bread. But I'm also telling you, there's a bigger thing. I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of eternity. I'm not gonna be God of the temporary. I'm not gonna be king of your life. I'm gonna be king of all, all. I won't be a part of you. You need to consume this. You need to take this in. You need to come to me and truly believe that I am Lord. I've done all the work. I've done it for everyone, everyone, that whoever, whoever, everyone, to all those that God gives me, it's open to all. But it's a surrender. And you're gonna come to me in faith daily. And you don't know how or when, but I'm gonna take care of you and we're gonna grow in this relationship. It's easy to understand. It's hard for some to accept. And many on that crowd left before the sermon was over on Easter. That isn't what I came for. I wanted a cool spiritual moment just to check off my box. I wanna go up and get Passover and come back home. And it leaves us with the three responses that day. We now have the same choice of either rejecting this that's great, but I'm not in a place to surrender. Glad to hear it, weird stuff. If you want to go with this Jesus God, that's fine. But Jesus goes, let me warn you. You can be offended now or you can be offended later. But I am God and you will one day when this life is over, see me as God. And on that day, it'll be too late. But you can reject this. And many left that day and never came back. Or we can pretend. Judas was a pretender. Judas was one of the 12. Judas got to pass out the fish and brass when the little G.I. Joe lunchbox was open, when the sardines were split. Judas was one that got to feed the people. Judas got to pick up basketfuls of leftover. Judas got to be in all the messages, but Judas never surrendered. And Jesus said, not all of you. I know who's here. I know who's playing the game. I know who wants me just to bless the life, but there's no surrender of lordship. And you can keep on. You can keep claiming one of the 12. And guess what? You are, but you're not in. You're not in. You're focused on the God blessing your life, but you're not focused on giving your life to him and his ways. Or the third choice is you can consume this. So do you wanna go? Well, Lord, where are we gonna go? You are eternal life here and later. 
we've come and we've believed that you are the Holy One. There's no place for me to go. I've consumed this. There's nothing else this world is gonna offer me that comes close to finding what I was created for, a relationship with you. We've consumed this. And there were three crowds in that great Easter message. For some, it was the worst Easter message ever. It was too long, too many verses. It didn't make a lot of sense. Go. For some, that was nice. Yeah, twinge of guilt and conviction, but I'm gonna keep playing my game. And for others, this is what I need. My Jesus has been way too small. He goes, by the way, you don't need another sign. I will bust open my own grave. I will become savior or swear word. You will set 2023 based on my calendar and my life and my death. I will set up Easter and Christmas as your holidays and you want me to show you something? I've split time and history for you. The response is yours. So here's how we close Easter. <laughs> we realize an entire story wrapped around Twinkies. Great to hear, great to talk about. He's the bread, he's the answer. But do I actually consume this? Do I actually take it in? And for those today that are drawn by the Spirit of God and say, I want to do this, this is what I need to do on Easter. It's not about asking God to change my earthly life and that'll be a part of it he desires for us. But I need to surrender to him as my Lord, my God, my life, my eternity because of what he's already done for us. I'm gonna lead you in the prayer. At the end of this prayer, if you've said it, I want you just to text Jesus. Am I supposed to text Jesus? Text prayer um, just to the number on the bottom of the screen. Just text Jesus to the number on the bottom of the screen. Let us know that you said that prayer. Let us know that you started this journey of real life with the creator and sustainer of life. And if that's you right now, wherever you sit, wherever you're watching this, can you just say this prayer? Say, Jesus, thanks for your words today that I heard fully. Thanks for being the source of life. Thanks for giving eternal life. And thanks for coming knowing you are going to give your life on the cross for me. Thank you for doing all the work, for paying whatever debt I owe, for going through whatever hurt and pain that should have been on me, for dying a death that should have been mine, for being humiliated so I can have dignity, for being stripped and beaten so I could be covered, for going through death so I could have life. I know I don't deserve it. I know I can't earn it. But today, I believe in you and I ask for your forgiveness. May everything you did on that cross apply to me. And Jesus, because you rose from the tomb, because of Easter, may your spirit live in me from this day on. May you teach me how to walk with life, with life. May you teach me how to just come and believe and just plug into you. And may you do whatever you wanna do in me, through me, and with me. That's my prayer this Easter. Can you just text Jesus to the number on the bottom of your screen? We would just love to know you said that prayer. And he bust out the tomb and said, you don't get another sign. You'll see me sitting at the right hand of God. Response is yours. What an Easter message. Father, thank you for giving us one of your greatest miracles, followed by what seems to be a lesser, but showing us today, that's the one we need to see. 
We need to have a much bigger picture of who you are. Forgiving allows the illustration that many left and some will do today, but God, for us, May you be our sustenance. May we take you into every part of our life. May we consume you as you have given your body and consumed it for us. May we totally be yours. May you teach us to walk daily in this new life, this risen life, in Jesus' name, amen. What an amazing message today. And if you said that prayer with Chris at the end of the message, we encourage you, text in the keyword Jesus to this phone number, 844 844- 9210220 We would love to give you some additional information to help you along in your journey of faith. Once again, that's the keyword Jesus to 8449210220. Thanks for joining us. And we look forward to having you back next week.